While our kids are headed their way to classes, uh, anybody need a Bible? So we're going to be in Acts chapter 10 today. Anybody need a Bible? Raise your hand. We'll put one in your hand. Uh, don't be ashamed if you didn't bring it. That's fine. We have plenty of those. Uh, we'll put one in your hand. You may be using your device, whatever that looks like, uh, but we'll put one in your hand for sure. Awesome. Turn to Acts chapter 10. Uh, that's where we will uh, pick up today. We'll pick up an actually uh, verse 44 when we start reading our text today. Um, so 10, I know, has been kind of ongoing for the last few weeks for us. We've been in it. A lot of rich stuff that's happening, kind of some stuff that's maybe feel a little weird or odd or strange that you go, man, this is kind of some weird stuff that's going on. And, and Acts is somewhat of that way as the Holy Spirit is bursting into the scene. And, and, and uh, as Jesus said, it's better that I go away and I'm going to send the Spirit. And so that's what we're seeing, that this is better for the Spirit to be here because there is a plan for the Holy Spirit to do some work in and amongst believers, calling people out of darkness and into light, calling them from uh, into salvation and, and life changes. And so it's good to see that happening. And, and the good news is, is that that same spirit that is at work that we're reading about and we're preaching through is the same Holy Spirit that is active and alive in mine and your lives today. And so this doesn't have to be foreign to us, even though sometimes it can be feel foreign as we read about it, but it's real because again, same Holy Spirit, same Holy Spirit. He doesn't change. You know, God doesn't change. And so the same Holy Spirit is at work today. And so chapter 10 introduced us to Cornelius. We saw that in the very beginning. We heard about Peter's vision. Remember the, uh, the sheet coming down from heaven and had all kind of animals and uh, and, and so we'll read more about that even in today's text as we get into over to chapter 11 uh, today where we're headed today uh, a little bit later in, our, in the sermon. And so uh, uh, Peter heard God say to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he was perplexed because he was like, I don't know about this. I don't eat unclean stuff. And this is who I've been my entire life. And so he kind of argued with the Lord back and forth. And the text even told us he had to do this like three times to, to kind of go, okay, I'm listening to you. I'm finally hearing what it is that you had to say. And, and he didn't do it because he was a Jew and he, he, he lived in this kosher, di uh, this kosher diet. And there were things that he just didn't eat for his entire life. The entirety of his life, he was like, I stay away from foods like that. And if you look uh, in uh, chapter 10, let me get back to that right here. Chapter 10, verse 25. I look back there. What did he say? Um, uh, th then you get this piece. At verse 25, he said, Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. So he's already dealing with the thing about the kosher food. And then he walks into Cornelius's house and Cornelius falls on the ground. And he's like, wait, get up, bro. You, I, you, I'm not the guy you're come here to worship. No, get up. You don't worship men. And, 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 and you know, as, as a preacher, I have a lot of respect for other people that do uh, this role in their churches. I have tons of respect for men that stand in the pulpit week after week and, and, uh, and proclaim the word of God and proclaim and point people to Jesus. I have tons of respect. Uh, many who have, have gone on before us that, you know, pastors that have passed on that have left the legacy of preaching the gospel. I have a lot of respect for them, but I, I've never, I've never like worshiped at their feet or, 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 you know, bow down while I'm listening to a podcast or uh, done anything like that. I, I've never prayed to one of those dudes, you know, you know what I'm saying? I'm never like, oh, R.C. Sproul, you know, uh, 
I don't pray to guys like that. I have a lot of respect for him, but I, I, don't, I don't pray to a guy like that. And uh, I, I've, I've never given some type of active devotion to them, or uh, I've never asked any one of those people to intercede on my behalf uh, to God because we have direct access to God. And, and, and so uh, 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 Peter was the same way here. He was like, I don't want you worshiping me. Get up, son. I'm not the one you're called to worship. And, and so um, angels didn't allow people to worship them. We talked about that back when we preached through that text too, that angels didn't allow people to worship them. And, and so no man should ever think of himself worthy enough that people should worship him. Okay, right? You agree with that, church? Yeah, no man, if you've, if you've been in a church or you're, you're in a church today, if you're watching online today and you're in a church today that that your pastor is kind of lifting himself up above everybody else and you, you're hanging on his every word and you, you do anything he said and bow down at his feet, that's not the guy you come to worship, okay? That's, I'm not the guy you come to worship. We come to worship, worship Jesus, okay? And if anybody ever stands in this pulpit and, and, and wants accolades for themselves or, or asks you to worship what they're doing, throw rocks at them. Remember that thing when we were like pretending we were going to throw rocks at somebody up here? Really do that, like throw rocks at them, uh, because that is not going to happen here in this church, okay? All right. I'm glad your silence is approval. Uh, all right, look in your Bibles too. Chapter 10, uh, verse 28. Let's pick up there. Uh, chapter 10, verse 28. He says this. Uh, he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate uh, with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection and I asked him why you sent for me. And so this was him going to Cornelius' house. And, and he was like, man, I, I, God is showing me that I can interact with people who are not like me, who may even have different dietary laws, who don't hold to the same things uh, that I held to. And then look in uh, chapter 10, uh, verse 34. Uh, the text said this. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right and acceptable to him. Um, and for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. So you yourselves know what happened. He talked about uh, the Holy Spirit coming with power. And he said, look, I'm just going to tell you uh, that God is the one who has come to judge the living and the dead. And so Peter is declaring all these good news of the gospel. And then we get to verse 43. And he said to, to him, to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And so Peter's whole thing was, this is not about me. This is not about dietary laws. This is not about all the secondary things that we find ourselves engrossed in and we get ourselves all wound up about. This is not about secondary things. All this is about Jesus. Okay. All this is about Jesus. Whenever you're here at Refuge Church, we're going to preach about Jesus. The songs that Jeff chooses to sing, we're going to sing about Jesus. The reason we take communion is because Jesus gave his life, his blood, his body to cover our sin debt. And so everything that we do at Refuge is going to be about pointing people to Jesus. Okay? That, that, that's our whole hope, and that is what we do. Jesus said, believe in God, believe also in me. Not another man. He said, believe in God, believe also in me. 
the only one who is worthy of our worship, the only one who is worthy of our praise, the only one who is worthy of all our entire lives given to him is Jesus. Now, yes, it's okay to honor people that have, that have meant something to us in the faith. There's, there's probably pastors in your life or, or, or maybe it's your parents or grandparents or some mentor that you've had that, that, is, that has pointed you to Jesus that has said, hey, I wouldn't be a Christian today if it weren't for this person influencing me. Yes, it's okay to honor people like that, men and women who God has used to declare the gospel to you and to preach the gospel faithfully year after year and week after week to people. It's okay to do that, but our only hope in life and death, the only one worthy of our praise, the only one that deserves our worship is King Jesus. Amen? Amen. Good. Okay. Now let's get to today's text. Chapter 10, verse 44, and I'm going to read this text so you can follow along with me, and we're going to read down through um, chapter 11, verse 18. So let's, let's get after it. So when Peter was still saying all these things, these things that I just kind of recapped right there, when he was still saying all these things, forgiveness of sins is found in the name of Jesus. He's declaring these things to the people while Peter was still saying all those things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Underline that in your Bible, even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. Chapter 11. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had to receive the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him saying, you went to the uncircumcised men and are with them. But Peter began and explained to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me looking at it closely. I observed animals and beasts and prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and all was drawn up again into heaven. It's like zoop, just right back up again. All of it was drawn back up into heaven. Verse 11, and behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction, underline, no, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me and we entered a man's house and he told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all of your household. And I began to speak, uh, as, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as it did on us in the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God has gave this, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then the Gentiles also 
God, uh, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Man, that's a great story. I love, love, love this story. And, and so Luke repeats much of this same story again here in Acts chapter 11. And so we're not going to get into a ton of details about that second part of chapter 11 because we've already covered a lot of it. We'll, we'll get to uh, pieces of it that, are, are, that, are, that I really want to highlight that I believe that is important to what we're going to preach about today. Uh, but a couple of things that I want to say right off the bat is the whole, what we see from this and what we can understand from this is the Holy Spirit falls or comes or begins to be active in people's life. He begins to be active when he chooses to do it. Okay? The Holy Spirit does what he wants when he chooses to do it. And the Holy Spirit falls and becomes active in people's lives when he chooses to do it. Okay? Here's what I think you can see throughout all scripture and is very important for us. That the result of that happening typically is at the end of much prayer. Much time on people's knees, praying, beseeching the Lord, begging the Lord, declaring to the Lord how much we desire for people to be saved, how much we desire for people to be changed, how much we desire for something to happen in someone's life. Mainly then, for the, and after much prayer and after much supplication, for the gospel to be declared, which is what, exactly what we see here. That much prayer and the gospel to be declared and then the Holy Spirit, that's the typical pattern that you'll see all throughout Acts and really all through the New Testament. And honestly, what still happens today, what we've seen happen in this very church over the last six months, year, two years of people coming to know the Lord, of people going, I need to change what I'm doing. I need a change of direction. I need to repent and believe the gospel is the result of much prayer and intercession and begging the Lord to do something. And the gospel being declared, the gospel being declared not only in the daytime, but in the night when our students are together in gospel community groups, the gospel being declared and the Holy Spirit choosing to do something absolutely amazing. How cool is it that we are getting to visualize and see and be part of something that we just read about in your own Bible? And that's a really cool thing that is happening. And, and so the question might come as, as we read this, why, why is this repeated again and again? Why, why is this story about, you know, the sheet coming down and, and all the stuff happening and rise, Peter, kill and eat, all the stuff that we're reading about. Why, why would the Spirit of God, who's, uh, who is the Spirit of truth, uh, reveal this again and, and be so repetitive in this section of Acts? And, and, and honestly, I mean, the only answer that I have is that learning comes from repetition. Learning comes from repetition, from hearing it over. Where are my teachers? Raise your hand, teachers. Teachers. Raise your hand and keep your hand in the air, Teachers. Uh, okay, I, let me walk you through this, teachers. Raise your hand in the air. Don't be talking to your neighbor. Put your pencil down. Yeah, learning comes through repetition, right, teachers? Yes, doing the same thing over and over again so that we can learn something that is very important, a concept that we have to learn over and over again. And that's the only thing that I can understand why that God might have put this in there for us to see. There are a couple of distinctions that we'll get to, but over and over again that we need to say this over and over because it's so important about what's happening here in Acts chapter 10 uh, and 11. I would say one of the most, that this is probably one of the most important texts in the New Testament. 
one of the most important texts in the New Testament. It may not be why you think it's the most important text, and we'll get to all that, uh, but I think it is, uh, but, but part of this text that we're going to jump in at the end of chapter 10 has probably caused some confusion, uh, probably caused some misunderstanding, uh, probably has caused some misuse of spiritual gifts um, than possibly any other scripture as well. And so important because the Holy Spirit's being poured out, but also important because there's been some confusion that's happened around some of these texts. Let's jump in and see what that is. Go back to chapter 10, uh, verses 44 um, and through 46. Let's see what that had to say. So here's what the text says. While Peter was still saying these things, remember he was proclaiming the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, which is a cool thing. So all the Jewish people were like, oh my goodness, these Gentiles are getting the Spirit too. What in the world is happening here? And then verse 46, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Okay, here we go. You know, I love expository preaching. It's what we do here, verse by verse, preaching through the text. We don't get to skip over the hard stuff. We don't get to move from things and just go, you know, let's just skip through this end of, you know, it's just that last section of chapter 10. We'll just move on to 11. We don't get to do that because you know we do expository preaching. And if you get to that point, you go, oh, a preacher skipped the hard part there. And that's kind of where I think we find ourselves. We talked about this a few, a number of weeks ago, whenever we talked about this very same thing about Acts chapter two and people beginning to speak in tongues. But I think it is um, uh, very important that we touch base with, with this again. And so while Peter was preaching, Spirit of God poured out on the Gentiles. Gentiles are who? Who are the Gentiles? Non-Jew. Yeah, we're, the vast majority of us, we're Gentiles, we're not Jews. And, and so the Holy Spirit was poured out. And, and so uh, those who were Jews recognized the outpouring of the Holy Spirit because the same kind of things, like I just said, had occurred in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Uh, only this time it was the Gentiles. So first were the Jews and then the Gentiles. And so we're seeing the same thing happen. And this is where we're headed because we're, we're Happened to the Jews, happened to the Gentiles, which is a really good thing for all of us. And, and so, uh, and, and the Gentile converts began to speak in tongues. And so I want each of you to put away your preconceived notion about what you believe about tongues. Because if you've grown up in the church at all, you probably have your own ideas about what that means. Uh, what, what, and and you may be, what you believe may be true. But I want you to just set aside anything that you may be angry about, you may be excited about, you may have questions about, or whatever it is, uh, we're going to work through this today. Um, uh, because again, it happened in Jerusalem on Pentecost uh, when the Jewish believers were assembled together and, and, and the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Jewish believers uh, and, and, and they thought maybe, maybe some received the Spirit. No, all the Jewish believers at that point in that room, they all received the Holy Spirit. And in like manner, when the, when the Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles here, every single one of them received the gift of the Holy Spirit and they were all changed from that day forward because the Spirit had fallen on them and the Spirit had filled them and they were changed people. 
I want you to think back to your own day of salvation, okay? Just think back to whenever that was. If you're a Christian here, I want you to think back into the day that you were saved. Some of you may be here and you're not a Christian. You don't have that day to think about. Back to, our hope for you is that today might be your day of salvation. Maybe you think back to today, sometime in the future. Somebody goes, think back to your day of salvation. It might be very, your day might be today. That's our hope for you. But think back on your day of salvation. Some probably recall it a little more vividly than others. Some, some probably have a really good idea of what that was like. Some of you go, man, bro, that was a long time ago, and I don't even remember. And that's okay, too. Think back to that time. Here's, here's a question. What changed about you? You remember? What, what changed about you? Because the truth is, when the Spirit comes and lives within us, Whenever we are made alive, our dead hearts come to life, there has to be a change. It's inevitable. Listen, it's inevitable that when the Spirit of God indwells you you're, and, and, and speaks to your spirit and is part of you and indwells you, you can't be the same. The God who spoke creation into existence and holds it together, the Bible says, by the power of his word. You know what, understand what that means? That means that that he holds it together by going, do not leave your orbit, earth. Do not get out of orbit. Sun, don't move. Keep flaming. Hey, Pluto, we know we called you a planet, but uh, you're really just whatever. I don't know about that. Uh, you understand what I'm saying? That's the same God. The power of that God that holds the universe together, the Holy Spirit indwells you. Indwells you as a believer. And so you have to be changed. Honestly, we're changed from a child of darkness into a child of light. Maybe the interest in things of God have moved to like, I don't care anything about the things of God to, man, I'm really interested in the things of God. Maybe your language, some of your language has changed. And instead of cursing God's name, you want to praise God's name. And then some of you who may call yourself a Christian go, preacher, I hadn't done any, none of that's changed for me. Maybe you're not a Christian. Something that you should probably examine yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit himself. Am I actually a Christian? Have I actually been born again? Does the Spirit actually live within me? Have I been changed by the gospel message? Something for us to think about. That, that may be where you are. You're like, I, I doubt I'm even saved, preacher. Because I keep struggling with a particular sin over and over again. Maybe this gut-wrenching pursuit of, man, I, I don't know what I am. I, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I'm a Christian or not. How do I interpret these things of whether I am or whether I ain't? You know, I, what, what do I do, preacher? And, and unfortunately, in today's world of instant access to preachers and teachers and televangelists and all the likes that you can find on the internet, uh, you may be, you may find yourself in a place where uh, you've heard some preachers that teach some things and um, maybe you watch some people that we don't necessarily encourage you to watch uh, and you're confused about what that actually means. Some people will tell you that as a Christian, whenever you become a Christian, there's also something called this, the second blessing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You may have heard that terminology, second blessing. 
Anybody know what that is? Yeah. Handful of, of you know what the second blessing is. Um, it, and we see a little, is that what's occurring in our text today where there's some type of second blessing that comes because the Holy Spirit is, is coming and if I speak in this tongue, I'm going to have this second blessing. Then I get the second blessing. And so I know some, I know some of you are uh, my Baptist friends in the room, my recovering Baptist friends in the room like me. Uh, you're probably going, oh, I had the opportunity to already start my spring break weekend. And now I'm here at church and I'm having to deal with this whole second blessing thing and this speaking in tongues thing and I should have just gone to the beach. Well, I hope if, if, you, if you'll hang on, uh, I think this will be profitable for you today. It, here's, here's what I'm trying to say. Um, and, and, and it's imperative for us to understand this about this text. Uh, in, in some denominations, there is a belief that there is a second blessing. So once people come to faith and, and trust in Jesus as their Savior, that yes, you do get indwelled with the Holy Spirit, but there's a second blessing that actually kind of makes you a, a more major kind of Christian, okay? And, and so th there's a belief that comes that way. And, and so once you've been regenerated, and you're like, hang on, preacher, what is regeneration? You're using some you know, $10 words today. Uh, here's what regeneration is. Regeneration is rebirth or being born again. So when somebody says you're regenerated, that means you've been born again. You've become a Christian. And, and so re regeneration is part of what happens to us when we, whenever we were saved. At the point of salvation, we believe that you are regenerated. All through the, the, the New Testament, we'll read about things like this, that, that you're regenerated, which means you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have been adopted into the family of God. You have been reconciled to God and you are now right with God. You are part of God's family. You have moved from degenerate to regenerated. Uh, you have uh, peace with God. You have new life. You are an eternal sonship relationship with God the Father. And regeneration begins the process of sanctification. And so once we are regenerated then, and the Holy Spirit fills us, then we begin the process of sanctification, which means putting off the old self and putting on the new self. Uh, Paul, uh, much of the New Testament writers talk about putting these things to death, putting these things off and putting on the new things. And that's what it means whenever the Holy Spirit fills us that we have the ability now because the Spirit does the work in us to put these old things to death and bring these new things to life in our lives. Are you tracking with me, church? Yes? Come on. Yes. Come on. Thank you. So, after regenerated, after we're born again, uh, some believe that there's a second work that actually comes. And many who believe this believe that'll come with like the laying on of hands, uh, such as praying over an individual. Man, we lay hands on people all the time here at Refuge Church. We lay, when we're going to pray for somebody, we might call them up, put our hands on them. We'll ask you to extend your hand towards somebody to pray for them because we want laying on of hands, we believe, is a biblical kind of thing. And, we, and we're going, hey, I'm praying for you. It's not magical. There's nothing that's magic that happens. Whatever we lay hands on somebody, it's just saying that, God, I, I am praying for this person. And I, and I want you to know that I'm praying for this person earnestly. And so there's nothing magical. But in some sects, S-E-C-T-S, uh, of, of, 
um, of, of, of Christendom, uh, many believe that when you lay hands on somebody, then something is actually supposed to happen in their life because you're doing these very things. Many of this occurs in churches like uh, in, in Pentecostalism, in holiness churches, word of faith churches. And again, they're believing that there's this second work of grace that comes after you've actually become a Christian. And that that's where the victorious Christian life comes from is in this second filling of the Holy Spirit. And so in this teaching, here, here's, here's a, a key point. Denominations or churches that hold to this kind of teaching will hold to this too, that some Christians have it and some do not. I'm talking about the second filling. Some have it and some do not. But even those that do not have it can have it if they earnestly seek it. If I'm earnest enough about this and if I am, uh, and, and my faith is strong enough to believe that this can happen for me, and if I'm devoted enough to the Lord, then this can possibly happen for me. Or if my prayers are earnest enough then this can happen for me. And so this really becomes up to you to be able to get this second blessing if your prayers are earnest enough to happen. And so some of you get it and some of you don't according to this particular kind of teaching. Early 1900s, there was this basic tenet of Pentecostalism uh, that kind of took place in Los Angeles at the Azusa Street Mission. And there was this outbreak of speaking in tongues uh, during this time, during, uh, back in, again, the early 1900s. And, and there was a belief during that time that this was a new outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That this was something new and this was happening and the Holy Spirit was kind of pouring himself out afresh and anew during this time. And, and this, this belief kind of stayed uh, 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 encapsulated, if you will, to Pentecostalism. Pentecostalism until probably later in the 1900s and around the 50s and 60s and things like that. Then it began to make its way around Lutheranism, even the Methodist Church, Presbyterianism, even a little bit into the Catholic Church, uh, where if you're earnest enough in these things, then more things can happen for you if you just lived earnestly enough. And so over the last 100 years, uh, Pentecostalism has landed into this place today. This, this is what Pentecostalism would tell you today, that not all Christians have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and that the sign of a second work of grace is speaking in tongues. Not all Christians have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I mean that second baptism of the Holy Spirit and the sign of that coming is the fact that you can actually speak in tongues. And so some of that comes from our text today. This is where I'm getting to. That much of that belief comes from our text in Acts chapter 9 and chapter 10 and chapter 11 is where much of that is geared toward and much of that is looked back on and said, well, see what happened in Acts? Do you see what was happening in the early church? And so because it happened there, then this is the way it has to happen now. So that was a prescription for the way that it has to come rather than a description of what actually was occurring during this particular time. 
And so as we read through this, some, uh, on the day of Pentecost, there were believers who had not yet received the Holy Spirit. Uh, the events at Cornelius' home that we preached about over the last few weeks, there were people there who had, were, that were following Jesus that had not yet received the Holy Spirit, the genuine believers who had not yet been filled with the Spirit. And, and so there were, suddenly there was this second filling of the Holy Spirit. And so just to clarify a little bit, Today, some in Pentecostalism, Word of Faith Ministries, many charismatic congregation, congregations um, believe that you can receive the Holy Spirit, but there's a second feeling that you must have. And that second feeling is the one that empowers you to actually live the Christian life in a way that you don't sin nearly as much as you used to. So in a nutshell, in this line of thinking, there are the haves and the have-nots. They're the haves and the have-nots in that line of thinking. Some have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. They have the, the new filling of the Holy Ghost. And so that's the haves, the people that can speak in tongues and the people that, that have had this experience are the haves. And there are some that are the have-nots that have not experienced this full blessing of the second filling of the Holy Spirit. Some have the power, some do not have the power which is a 180 degree difference in what the apostles believed was actually happening when the spirit would actually come. Whenever you became a Christian and you repented of your sins and believed the gospel, the apostles said that you are filled with the spirit and you are empowered with the spirit to go and live this life that, that you are called to live. The Bible never says there are two categories of Christians. That there are people that are filled with the Spirit that, are, that have been saved, and there are people that have been with a little more Spirit, and they are really saved. The Bible does not make that distinction. And so all the believers in Jerusalem received the Spirit, and all the believers in the household of Cornelius received the Spirit. And so the inference drawn by the apostles from the narrative of history is that God pours out His Spirit as the Old Testament prophesied on all believers. Paul talk, taught this in 1 Corinthians. Look, for by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. One spirit, one Holy Spirit. We become one body together. The spirit does his work in each of us. He makes us one. He takes strangers and makes them family. He takes strangers and makes them friends. He makes enemies of God friends with God. He makes people dead in their sins alive to God. One spirit does all of this work in each of us. There is absolutely no biblical warrant for teaching of a second filling of the Holy Spirit that some Christians need to receive. It's just not there. It's just not there. You go, well, you were reading about it in Acts. Yes, but we've talked about that Acts is one of those transitional uh, books where we see the Holy Spirit coming that was confirmed by many of the apostles that had seen and been with Jesus. And so they were confirming things just so that things didn't run off the rails. And that's the way it happened as the church was being birthed just so that they didn't fall into heresy early on that the apostles were there to witness some of these things. Every time the Spirit is poured out in this manner in Scripture, all who were present received the Holy Spirit. There was not some hoop to jump through afterwards. Among Christians, there is not a category of haves and have-nots. 
among Christians, there's not a category of haves that, okay, you have the spirit and so you have gifts. And so you, you're, the spirit is actually active in your life and, and so you have gifts, but we've got to set over here that the spirit is not active in and they don't have any gifts. That's not what the Bible teaches. That is, you have received, once you have repented of your sins and believed the gospel, the spirit indwells you and gives you spiritual gifts to use in the edification of the church and so to lift up the name of Jesus. Anyone who is a Christian is born of the Spirit, indwelled by the Spirit, has been baptized by the Spirit, and is empowered for the Spirit for ministry. Amen, church? Yeah. So I'll wrap this up with tongues with two statements. First is this. Tongues is not an unknown language between a Jesus follower and God. Okay? You may have grown up in that. Uh, but tongues, if you read about it in the New Testament, the way it's supposed, tongues is supposed to be used, a couple of ways that tongues is supposed to be used. If you have a tongue, you're speaking with the Lord, and you live in your closet somewhere, and you pray, and you've got your own language, you pray, God bless you in that. But it's not meant for us to start praying together, and for you to just roll off some unknown language. Don't see that anywhere in the scriptures for us to do. Got it? You don't have to like it. I'm just telling you the truth. Not part of what the New Testament teaches us about tongues. So tongues is not an unknown language between a Jesus follower and God. Secondly, um, hang on. Part of why, when we read, so you read, well, preacher, it said that they began to speak in a tongue. They did, and if you'll read, we talked about this back in Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter 2, uh, the reason they were speaking in a tongue is they were actually declaring things so that people around them that spoke a different language, a different tongue, could understand what they were saying. And they were extolling the goodness of Jesus to people who didn't speak their language at the time. And they were speaking a different language so that the name of Jesus might be lifted up and not draw attention to themselves. Tracking with me? Doesn't this make more biblical sense? Say yes. <laughs> Okay, Just calm down, preacher. You calm down. Okay. <laughs> Tongues is not a universal sign of faith in Jesus. Okay? It's just not. Tongues is not a universal sign of faith in Jesus. If you ever have somebody tell you, well, unless you speak in a tongue, then you're not, you don't get the second blessing. You know what you say? <laughs> could, could say you could run. You could just say, you can say this. This is one of my favorite things to say. God bless you in your ministry. God bless you in your ministry. That's just a good response. And then just walk away. <laughs> if I ever say that to you, uh, <laughs> ugh, well, God bless you in your ministry. Yeah. <laughs> Because um, languages have been learned and, and many people can speak different languages now that they might not have understood before, missionaries that go to other places, rarely do you see tongues being used. However, I spoke to people that I know personally. This is not a conjecture. This is not stories. This is, these are people that I know and trust, not some whack job wingnut person, but people that I know very well have said, I've been overseas on a mission trip. I, I've been to a mission trip and, and spoke to people that did not understand a lick of English. And I spoke to them about the gospel and preached the gospel. 
And though I was speaking in English, they were hearing me in their native tongue. Okay? That's how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit doesn't work to draw attention to you. This is not about you. This is about Jesus and declaring the gospel message because that's how Jesus, that's how we read the scriptures and says, how do people come to know Jesus? It's by declaring the gospel and the Holy Spirit does work and the Holy Spirit awakens people to the gospel when it gets declared. And so why would he not use it in a place like that where he goes, hey, I'm gonna go speak to people I don't know and all I, all I got is English. And so I'm going to declare it and God chooses to use them by paltry words and declare them in a tongue, in a, which means a language that the people can understand the gospel. You see that? That's what it's about, people. It's about the gospel. It's not about anything else. All right, let's keep going. Um, th this is the point. Um, the Holy Spirit was... was Choosing to prove a point, and this is the point that I think he made, and this is very important, especially, again, in today's day. Gentiles uh, who were not circumcised, um, they were not baptized, they have not had an apostle lay his hands on them, uh, but what they were learning suddenly through all this is that the Gentiles actually could receive the Holy Spirit. That's what this is about. That the Gentiles actually could, which was mind-blowing to the Jews. I mean, they were like, wait, what? The dirty Gentiles? The unclean Gentiles? They get it too? We've been the people of promise. We were the people that had the, the, the prophets and the, the, the commandments and all that. We, we got it all, but the dirty Gentiles are going to get this too? yes. Just like the Jewish believers, salvation came to them by grace through faith in the Messiah. Just like it came to you. Just like it came to me. By grace through faith in the one who lived the life we can't live, who laid his life down, who shed his blood to cover my nasty sins, and who God raised from the dead to overcome death and hell in the graves and give us hope that the same thing will happen for you and me if we follow Jesus. That's the reason for this. But this is important too. But this does not mean that there aren't haves and have nots in the church. You're like, wait a minute, preacher. Is, aren't you contradicting what you just said? Nope. There are haves and there are have-nots in the church, probably in this room. Some of us are haves and some of you are have-nots. There are people in this church who have the Spirit. And there's some people in this church that don't have the Spirit. Those of you who don't have the Spirit are still dead in your trespasses and sins. The Bible talks very clearly about that. We were all once dead in our trespasses and sins. 
But those who are, of you who are still dead in your trespasses and sins are those who have not yet repented of your sins and believed the gospel. Put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus. Those of us who have the Spirit, by God's grace, He's awakened us to the gospel, given us life, granted repentance to us. He'll do the same thing for you. Preacher, you don't know me. I, I don't need to know you. But what you need to know is the same God that rescued a dirty sinner like me will be the same God that will rescue you from your sin. The same spirit that he has given to me and many others in this room, many others who are watching, is the same spirit that he will give to you. The same, and that same spirit is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, is the same spirit that will indwell you and change you and make you different and make you alive and give you a desire for the things of God. That same spirit he'll give to you. It's very possible that some of you have attended church for many, many years. Maybe you grew up in church, maybe been baptized a number of times. Same thing happened to me a number of years ago. Maybe you profess faith in Jesus and yet be unregenerate, yet not your heart be made alive yet. There is uh, a story in John chapter three, and honestly, for the sake of time, I don't have time to read this. Uh, John chapter three is the story of Jesus going to Nicodemus, the religious ruler during the time. And he says, hey, what must I be, you know, tell me the, tell me the gig, Jesus. And Jesus is like, you must be born again. He was like, hey, how can I be born again? I'm a big old boy. I can crawl back up in my mama. You know, this is dumb, Jesus. And he was like, no, you got to be born of the spirit and of truth. And so you begin from that, he's like leads him to John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. Same kind of thing he's talking about. To you, my friend, who is outside the household of faith, who is not born again, who is dead in your trespasses and sins, the same message that Jesus preached to Nicodemus is the same message I'm telling you about today. It's that you must be born again. You must die to yourself, and you must be born not only of water and by woman, but you must be born again by the Spirit. All of us must be to be in right relationship with God. Uh, Paul goes on to say this in Romans chapter 10. He says, this is how you become a Christian. Because if you confess through your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes. It means your entire being. With who all of who I am, with a heart, one believes and is justified, which means made right with God. With my heart, I'm believing this. And so I am now right with God. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. So that means that I'm going to go, oh my goodness, I need to become a Christian. My entire being is telling me that I'm outside the household of faith. And I need to repent of my sins and trust in Jesus. And I know that inwardly. And it says now, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. That says, hey, preacher, I need to become a Christian. I want to follow Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I, 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 I want to follow you. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Make me a new creation. That's what uh, Paul was writing in Romans chapter 10. You'll be born again. And by born again, truly born again, you become a Christian. And you will be filled with the Holy Spirit fully. Not a second filling that needs to come later. Not something that you've got to do something weird down the road to make it happen. But you will be filled with the Holy Spirit, which empowers you to live this life 
that God calls you. The Spirit, it begins to conform you into the image of Jesus, which makes us more like Jesus. There's not a second blessing that's going to fix all your stuff. We just work through that. That's what the whole New Testament is about, working through that, putting to death those old things in us and putting to life those things which God calls us to. All right, that's three verses. I got more to cover. Let's try to land this plane just a little bit. Acts 10, 47, and 48, they're like, hey, these people are saved now. Let's baptize them. And so uh, they were like, well, well let's find someone. The, they, they said, hey, man, when they become followers of Jesus, they should be baptized. And I'll just say this to some of you. Some of you need to be baptized. Some of you grew up in some other religious backgrounds. You're like, well, I was baptized when I was a baby and I had some water sprinkled over my head and I think I'm good. Nope, you're not good. Uh, Baptism is an outward symbol of an inward spiritual reality, okay? And so I have now repented of my sins and put my faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus, and I want to follow Jesus now, and I belong to him now, and I'm going to identify myself with going, I, my old self is dying, I am burying myself with Jesus, I, I'm like dead to myself, and now I'm raised up as a new creation. That's what baptism symbolizes, is that I'm dead to my old self and I've been raised with Christ and I'm a new creation. And baptism says, I'm not ashamed to declare that to the people of the world, okay? Baptism follows your conversion. If you've never, done, if you've never been baptized following the, the fact that you follow Jesus, come talk to us about that today. Let's keep going, I'm running out of time. Acts 11, one through 18. I'm not reading this, it's too long. Uh, and I have less time. Um, here's what it talks about. So Acts 11, Peter reported all this to central office at Jerusalem. Okay. He's like, let me tell you what's happening. They're like, what are you doing, Peter? That's not even, why, why are you dealing with those dirty Gentiles? Uh, and so they criticized him from eating with those unclean people, the uh, dirty Gentiles. And they're like, why are you doing that, Peter? And so Peter goes on to say, hey, let me tell you this. And this is kind of what we've covered over the last few weeks. He said, I was in Joppa praying and I fell into a trance and I saw this vision, the sheet coming down. It was like, man, let's go to Corky's barbecue and let's eat some, uh, let's, or, let's, uh, or pig and whistle or central or wherever you go. Uh, animals coming down uh, out of a bed sheet, could have been a My Pillow commercial. Uh, and they were like, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And, uh, and so, wait, I'm not going to go eat that. And he was like, uh, I, I'm telling you. And he told him three times and Peter was like, no, 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 no way, Jose. I'm not eating that because that is not clean for me to eat. And so he was like, I promise you that it's clean. Everything is clean. What God has made clean, do not uh, call common. And, and so he was like, okay. And then he realized this is not even really about food because he's like, all these things that I found a distinction between me and I've made a difference between me and people. I don't have to make those distinctions anymore. I don't have to find ways to put dividing walls between me and people anymore. Hey, neither do you. Neither do you. Some of you got some dividing walls built. They've been built a long time. And if we can read this in the text between Jews and Gentiles, you don't know. I don't know. We don't understand the animosity that existed between Jews and Gentiles. We don't get that today. We could probably draw some inferences between people groups today, but we don't know the, the animosity that existed. And, and so God says, I'm killing the dividing walls. He would tell us to do the same thing today. 
kill the dividing walls between you. Then he goes on to say this. Look, look in chapter 11, uh, verses 12 to 18. And th- these, these are some these places I do want you to see. Here's what he says. Uh, Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. Did you underline that? Did you highlight that in your Bible? I hope you did. People, uh, Spirit told me to go with them and make no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied, accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel stand at his house and say, send a job and bring Simon, who is called Peter, underline verse 14. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. Underline that. 15, underline this. As I began to speak, what? The Holy Spirit fell on them just as it did on us in the beginning. That's like one of those verses that you go, Gentile, bro, I'm, I'm in. And, and you can write that in your Bible. This is where I got in. This is where my peeps got in. Underline that one. He said, uh, the fell on them just as it did in the beginning. Like, this is crazy. Are you kidding me? And then 16, he goes on to say, and I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John will baptize with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And if then, if God gave the same, do you see they got baptized with the Holy Spirit when they became Christians? Didn't we just talk about that for like 25 minutes? Bro, you could have skipped to that one verse and saved us some time. We're trying to get to the beach. Um, If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Who are you to stand or to keep something going or to keep some animosity or to keep a fight going or to keep some, uh, I hadn't been to their house in three years or I don't agree with their view on X, Y, or Z. Who are you to keep a dividing wall between somebody here in the gospel? Who are we to do that? He goes on and says, And because he didn't make a dividing wall, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance, which leads to life. All right, so wrap this up, Scotty. So what? The gospel, I'll say there's some things I want to cover and we'll be done. I'm on page nine of 10 of my notes. The gospel is not about sensationalism. Okay. The gospel is not about sensationalism. The gospel is about salvation through Jesus, okay? The gospel is about security in Jesus. He's the one who secures us. He said, I know my sheep, my sheep hear my voice, and no one, what? Snatches them out of my hand. Once you become a Christian, you belong to Jesus. Jesus, if people come and try to snatch you out of their hand, Jesus is like, pop. Nobody snatches them out of my hand. The gospel is a message to share about Jesus. What a glorious message it is to share. That you get to tell somebody about the good news of the gospel. You, you're not called to save anybody. You can't. You're 
Your eloquence in the way you say things, the way that you present the gospel perfectly, or if you say these particular points, then that's going to automatically come for somebody to know Jesus. No, it's not. You're not the author of salvation. You're not the giver of salvation. You are the messenger of salvation. We share the good news and pray, which means we pile what? Kindling up around our friends. You people know what kindling is, how you start a fire. We pile kindling around our friends and we pray that the Holy Spirit will light it up. That's how people become Christians. Sharing the message of the gospel, praying that the Holy Spirit will awaken them to the gospel. That's what we do. Uh, let me say this. Do not be led astray by false teachings. Some of you have grown up under false teachings. And some of you even wrestle with some of the things that I said today. Check your Bibles. Don't believe me. Check your Bible. I mean, believe me. I ain't lying. But... Check your Bible. If you have questions about that, come and ask. It'd be our joy to spend some time with you and go, hey, explain this to me, preacher, because this is what I read right here, and this is what my preacher at the previous church told me. It'd be a joy to be able to sit down with you. Hold fast to what is true. Test everything. Here's why today's text is so important. Make no distinction between you and someone who needs to hear the gospel. Don't put any dividing walls between people that need to hear the gospel. The gospel is both for Jews and for Gentiles. For all of us need to hear the same message that Jesus rescues sinners. The Holy Spirit falls where he will. We believe that. But he falls where the gospel is declared. You want your family members to know Jesus? Declare the gospel to them. You want your sister to know Jesus? Declare the gospel to them. You want your coworker to know Jesus? Declare the gospel to them. And pray fervently that the Holy Spirit will rescue them. Listen to what it says at the end of this text. Gentiles specifically. If God gave the same gift to them he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Then to the Gentiles also has God granted repentance that leads to life. Luke writing this teaches us, each of us, that we have an opportunity to repent of our sins and believe the gospel. Preacher, I've been a long way. I ain't, this is my first time back at church in 30 years. You know what? We've seen God rescue people like that in this very church. And we urge you to do this very same thing today. I have to tell you a quick story. I, uh, there was a, you know, this hotel that lives over here. We've been here ministering to people for a number of years. There was a lady over here who was a prostitute. And uh, one that came and asked for a lot of help for a number of years. And um, so early in the church's life, and, and so I met this girl and uh, gave her some money and got her some food and all this kind of stuff. And this continued on through numbers of years. She would come and hit me up and, hey, oh, Pastor Scott, can you help me with this? You know, not a believer at all. I mean, full on, uh, uh, full on, this was her life, immersed deeply in prostitution. Uh, call me from time to time. There's still people that call me from time to time. Hey, Pastor Scott, can you help me? Can you send me $40? Can you send me 50 bucks? Man, I, I just need a room for the night. And every time, 
if I'm being honest, I wrestle with it and go, man, am I just enabling this person to continue this lifestyle? And then I go, you know what? The Lord's blessed me. I got some money in my pocket. I got 60 bucks. I'll probably blow it some point along the way. Why would I not help somebody out? I ain't saying that for my, don't think about me. I'm just telling you what God's doing. So this, has been, this has probably been an ongoing thing for probably a decade that this particular person uh, has just hit me up time and time again. Um, at some point I had to tell her, I was like, hey, look, I got a family. I, I, I can't keep spending money on buying you a room or buying you some food. I got a family. I got six kids now. And still, times they'd come back and times, times they'd come back. This girl, um, she hit me up about a month ago and said, hey, Pastor Scott, uh, she, she sent me a Facebook messenger or something. Sent me these pictures of her mouth that was wired shut. Uh, her leg was broken. Uh, had a bad encounter with somebody. Uh, and so she didn't have anything. And what she told me was, she said, out here where I am, she said, I ended up going to a church. And she said, I actually have become a Christian. She said, I'm not prostituting anymore. I'm not doing these things anymore. She said, it's one of the reasons that I ended up in this shape today is because I was unwilling to go and walk down those same paths that I had been before. And this is what happened to me. She said, how has that happened, Pastor? And so I had an opportunity to go, hey, just because we follow Jesus, it doesn't make all things rosy and all things sweet and everything to go our way. Sometimes we still face trials and persecution because there's a spiritual battle that goes on in our lives day after day after day. An enemy that says, hey, prostitute, that's who you are. And this is what happens whenever you don't do what you're, who you are. I said, that's the message that, it, that our enemy is trying to send to you. And so I encouraged her to stay steadfast. I sent her some scriptures. I prayed with her over text, you know, just to uh, try to encourage her. And why are you telling me that, preacher? I want to tell you that because it doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what your history is. It doesn't matter what you've been involved in for the entirety of your life. It doesn't matter what you involved in last night. The same God who rescued people all across the, throughout the scriptures and still does it today is the same God that sees you and knows you and maybe even calling you today to come to him. Find rest. It may be trouble, but spiritual rest for your soul. That when we live whatever years we have here now, and we close our eyes here, and we might open our eyes in the presence of the king. He offers it, yes, to both Jews and to us Gentiles, to repent, believe the gospel, come to Jesus. That's our hope for you. Let me pray for us.